0: I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog.
1: to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. I am here, as always, with my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right, the better twin. Let's begin. I hate it when you say that. And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. How's it going, Mike?
2: I'm doing well. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing how tweaked uh, Josh is after we got our first Romeo sighting this evening and all all season.
1: (laughs) Josh is smitten. Today, uh, along with that, we're going to talk about... Our impressions of the new guys on the Celtics, and we haven't had a chance to talk about these trades yet, so we'll get to to play armchair quarterback and and, uh, give the 10-day hindsight impression of of these trades, and we'll talk about recent games. Uh, Let me first get your impressions on these new guys. Evan Fournier started out poorly but has been looking great the last couple of games against Charlotte and Houston. Luke Cornett has surprised me. I didn't know that he was a human being who existed. Uh, Mo Wagner, well, Josh, what do you think about these guys? Oh my God! Um, well, I'll go backwards because
0: I I hate Mo Wagner. I he was okay <laughs> in the in like the in in the, that uh, final four run that they had at Michigan, um, but I never thought that he was really going to be a great NBA prospect. Um, I feel like the somehow the only reason we picked him up is because his, his younger brother is coming out this year, and maybe Danny Ainge likes him as a six nine. Gordon Hayward type player, but like I don't think either are that great. And Mo Wagner just he's always getting thrown around like a ragdoll out there. And he's always, always, always been a player who complains too much to the referees. Sometimes justified, most of the time not justified, in my opinion. Um he's just it's almost like he's he's not out of position. He's it's more like he doesn't fit a position for this level of play. Um he's one of my least favorite players in the whole league.
2: Yeah, Josh, Josh can I offer can I offer kind of a, a, a take here
0: yeah because I think I Mo, need help
2: Mo Wagner's really bad that's it that's my take <laughs> he's just not a good basketball player he hustles, um, he, he, hustles. He, nice. he hustled his way within four games to back of the big man rotation right where he belongs
0: <laughs> he, he hustles but there's no effectiveness to it he, he's got no grit he's got you know like Compare him to a guy like Tice, right? And and people in in national media have been on Tice about not being tough enough. I feel like if you're getting beat up the way Daniel Tice has always done in his career, being undersized and just giving all-out effort all the time and not reacting, you know, like that to me that's toughness. I feel like Mo Wagner he just gets tossed around and and like whines and complains as he's getting up off the floor, whereas Tice like. He's getting up and he's ready to go again. Like he, he doesn't have that whiny look on his face.
2: I think this has been sufficient time spent on Mo Wagner. He's and he's not the reason any moves were made this deadline.
0: Yeah, I mean, and thank God we got Luke Cornett because that makes this whole Mo, Stop uh, Mo Wagner thing. Stop uh, Stop uh, because I feel the opposite. You're, you're embarrassing yourself. Uh,
1: hold on, no, Mike, I really, like Luke Let's hear this out, Josh. Tell us about Luke Cornett and your love for him.
0: So Luke Cornette, you know, I as well did not know much about him until about 10 days ago. Um, Didn't watch him play for the Knicks much, but my Knicks buddies are telling me that they liked him when he was there. I asked them why, and they say, you know, he just protects the rim, and, and he shoots a decent percentage, and he makes the right play. I heard somewhere, I can't remember, I wish I could remember. The, someone was saying that the, the Celtics coaching staff liked him because of his pick and roll defense.
1: Yeah, that, so not, yeah. Brad Stevens said that in, in a, a post game or a pregame.
0: Right. And so it's, and it's, it's that he's in position all the time. He's, in, he's always in the right spot, even though obviously he's not laterally quick enough to switch or do anything that effective. Uh, but I just love the way he's shot the ball well over every level of play. You know, a lot of these big white guys in the NBA, you think they're great shooters like Olinik and Porzingis, and they're really not. They're average. They're 36%. They're no better than that. Um, and he's a guy who's been a little bit above that at every level of play, and, and it's kind of like dipped and gone up. But overall, he's he's had great three-point percentages. Uh, that's something I'm always looking for, for in bigs for this Celtics team and in the NBA in general. Um, but he protects the rim. I mean, he's averaging 1 block and 1 assist a game in only 15 minutes. His assist to turnover ratio is really good. So he's just, you know, like for a guy in that role, third string big man, I mean, he's he's doing everything the the right way and and not messing up at all. That's really what okay. we need from so, that spot.
2: So that was that was what I just wanted to confirm. Yeah. So as long as we're all in agreement, he's a third string big man. <laughs> oh, I feel yeah. like there's this chatter on Twitter about how Thompson should be out of the rotation. Cornette is the backup big. And that's that's where I draw the line. <laughs> no, 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 no. But no, I agree with everything you said. He's he's shown nice passing. He's shown, you know, he's been a solid part of the rotation in the last couple of games where we've been really, really good. Um, yeah, and he he doesn't embarrass himself or us when he's out on the court, uh, which I don't think the same can be said about Bo Wagner. So... Neither. neither
1: Go ahead. Sorry.
2: No, I was just gonna say. So I'm with you, Josh. As as long as we're all in agreement that he's the third string, uh, big man, then I'm. I'm really. I'm. I'm. I think he's a really good fit for that role.
1: I'm disappointed, Josh. I I thought we were gonna get something else from you there. A little, little uh, over. I can give that to
0: you right now. Uh So here's. So the backstory. (laughs) The backstory on Luke Cornett. He, you know, he—he's one of these guys who like grew like seven inches for his last year or two in high school, um, and so all of a sudden he walks onto campus at seven feet tall. But now, now he's seven two. He's grown two inches since then too. What if he's still grown? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> then he will have foot problems. Uh, Cornet and Mo Wagner, neither of them are the reason that this, tra- this trade was made. That was definitely made to get rid of. The Tice contract uh, to get us under the luxury tax because we wanted Evan Fournier. Josh, thoughts on Evan?
0: Evan Fournier, he was in my top five before he got booted out late in the game of of our big board for uh, the TPE yeah. prospects. I really like the way that he does Gordon Hayward type things. He, you know, growing up in Europe, he always knew how to move the ball. He always knew how to play zone defense and to play offense against zone defense, which is a major uh, flaw for this Celtics team and was in the playoffs last year. If anyone wants to beat the Celtics, you zone them. <laughs> and not anymore. That...
2: Not anymore. I think we finally figured it out against bad teams. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah against bad teams with no consistency. We have. You're right. <laughs> uh, but uh, to me, that's a that's a huge, huge win. Just to have a guy who's six seven and handles it like a guard and can defend decently and you know having a guy who can drive and make smart decisions it's just it's not just about being a ball mover like people are talking about Robert Williams the dime lord now it's not just like how quickly you can reverse the ball or move it but you got to be able to have guys who can attack and draw some defenders draw two and be able to open things up a little bit and make the right move come to a stop Wait, on your drive and make it
2: are you suggesting that Evan Fournier is a more dangerous threat when the ball is swung to him than Chemi Ojele I am.
0: I am. Yeah, Shemi <laughs> Odile, I mean, not only can he not dribble at, at a college level, but he can't make layups. I mean, he can't. He, he gets in there to try to finish. He also can't and he drive and going.
2: kick. I mean, yeah, Evan. No, I mean, Josh, you were you were at the front of the Evan Fournier band. I mean, you were a little bit insane. You were saying Evan Fournier is better than Gordon Hayward, which he objectively is not, but he is very good. I don't
0: know. Uh, I still I, don't know
2: about that yeah. because
0: because okay. the other guy's always getting injured, so you have to he had, you have that, to well, take he, that into consideration.
2: He had been top thirty in minutes over the season, as Sean Grandy said and tweeted earlier uh, before this right right foot sprain that just sidelined Hayward for the, this this upcoming month. But right, um, and that's the
0: opposite ankle that uh, that he injured
2: really badly right. two years ago, right. three years ago. But um anyway no so you were you were definitely one of the louder champions uh, on the of the of the Fournier of the Fournier bandwagon um I mean he's you know he obviously had a couple of stinkers to to start but that's not unsurprising given that playing wing in Brad Steven's system demands a lot and he was just kind of trying to figure it out on the fly um the last two games he's looked really really good um and given the Celtics a dimension they've clearly been missing all season uh, since Hayward's departure. So, um, but Adam, I do want to hear your your take on Fournier. I mean, I'm 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 pretty excited about it, and I'm excited that we were able to get him for such a low price. Yeah. As far as two you know two second round picks, you can say it was four because we had to give up two second round picks to to get the TPE. Whatever, I don't care. Two second round picks for a, a player as good as Fournier into a TPE that we were never going to use for a long-term contract of a, a like little, a a guy like Harrison Barnes like that right. TPEs work. We talked about this at the beginning of the season. I was always thinking it was going to be an expiring deal. <laughs> Brad uh, Danny Ainge threw me off the scent. Admittedly, he did a good job with all of his radio bluster, but um it played out more or less as we thought it would when yep. it first happened. Yeah. Uh But, Adam, in addition to getting a reaction, I do want to note, you know, there were there were two guys that we made this these trades for one. I mean, and and getting off of Daniel Tice's contract, one was Evan Fournier, but the other was Time Lord. Right. Um, Well, yeah, let's come back. We'll we'll get to that. Yeah, Yeah. we'll get to that. But I did just want to note that because because. That That's a real piece of this Luke Cornett, Mo Wagner equation. <laughs> it's neither of them, but it's it's, it's time, Lord. Anyway, so over well, I, to you, Evan. Well, Evan.
1: I've got a rant that I'm going to get to in a little bit. I want to ask you guys the, the other piece of this, because obviously Fournier is bringing a dimension that this team needed. We needed a wing scorer who was a veteran to come off the bench. He's providing that sorely, sorely needed. So there is an added value because of that. And the question that I have, that I, I don't think you can have fully evaluate this trade without also considering, what's the value that's lost in losing Tice? So I'm curious to hear from you guys. What, how do you feel about losing Tice? What and what have well, you seen in the last ten days uh, that related to that?
0: Yeah, when Time Lord is out and Mo Wagner is their starting center, now you're seeing <laughs> what what value Tice has. That was and, the and worst. Yeah, and and that's the point when when I was. Really questioning things for a moment there, like what is this really? Well, worth that was Tice was yet? out.
2: That was Tice was gone, and Thompson was out, and Rob Williams was out, and and then right. Stevens still hadn't fully decided. I think at that point that um, Cornett was just empirically better than Wagner. Like I think that's the game that su- cemented it for Stevens.
0: <laughs> right, and and obviously Stevens is looking at you're going to have to resign Tice. Or Evan Fournier this offseason. So would age. you rather have Yeah. So would you rather have Tice for, you know, ten million a year or whatever he's gonna get? Or Fournier for you know, eighteen, twenty million a year, which is kind of what we wanted in an ideal world to sign Gordon Hayward for. And I mean, I, I just go back to you're getting the best player in the deal, right? You're giving up a guy who's kind of an unsung hero. And I question whether there was a little bit of a Kendrick Perkins effect possible with getting rid of a guy like Tice um, because he really was meaning that what? type of meaning that like he's the dirty work guy. He's the guy you can trust. Now he can shoot threes. I mean, he he was under uh, Al Horford in terms of like getting his tutelage his first couple of years in the league. And now he's become Al Horford. You know, he's the guy who who can make smart decisions with the ball, but he's not going to do too much. He's not going to handle it too much, but he's just, you know, he does better than expected against better Players in the NBA. I mean, he's just—he's a guy that we valued in Boston more than he could ever be valued somewhere else. I think Um, just because we saw night
1: in, night out how how much he helped with the chemistry of things. So he's not—he is not Al Horford. How dare you? He's not even Al Horford now. Uh, But we did lose something important with him. Uh, He does the dirty work. He—he was is switchable. Uh, This guy was the starting center for the last year and a half.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I. What like shortly before the trade deadline, I was adamant that Tice should continue to be the starting center over Time Lord um, because he was just simply more reliable and better and Time Lord showing promise. But, you know, and I was saying that I thought after the trade that Thompson was going should be the starting center and four games in at this point, Thompson's been out. I didn't know. I didn't expect to see Time Lord playing quite the way he's played, especially these <laughs> last couple of games.
0: Like, yeah, well he hasn't missed a shot in like three games,
2: right? He he missed one, I believe. I mean, it's absurd. Like he, so there's. I don't. I don't know if we're gonna be able to get into all of the like the cap minutia and stuff. And I don't know all of the cap details, frankly, but there in in a way the this trade the because of the cap math that's coming up um this trade to get Fournier to get off Tice yes we weren't going to re-sign Tice uh but it if the Celtics want to get to a championship level it the bet is basically that Tatum and Brown and Time Lord are going to continue to grow and elevate their play to the point where an overpaid Kemba, a uh, Marcus Smart on like his last year of his contract before he gets paid either by the Celtics or maybe another team and maybe an overpaid Fournier could justify ownership going into the tax. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's and, and the last two games admittedly against a really bad and Rockets team and a very injury depleted uh, Hornets team. Yeah, last are, year's Hornets are, team are easily the two most complete games the Celtics have played all season, I think. Or two, two like at least back to back. Like it's this Hornets game, the game, the game they play. We're recording Sunday evening, like just after the the Celtics walloped the Hornets. Um That might have just been the best game the Celtics have played all season. Yeah, that was a true blowout. Have they had that all year? I don't think so. Have they had it in, like, the past four seasons? I feel like the whole Brad Stevens era, it's always get up 25 and then let them get within, like, 8 and then win by 13. Like, this was a true, like, we were down 9 in the first quarter. We evened it up, and I think maybe we were down 1 at the end of the first, or it was even or something. Uh, and then from there it was it was over we just yeah we have I'm
0: looking I'm looking right now we have not had a blow all year like this except the last time we played the Rockets
2: yeah and that so that I I wanted to touch on that game because even the two Rockets games that we played right that that we played them twice now in the last two weeks more or less Um, the first one like we we crushed them, but we just hit every three, and they weren't good threes. And I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to the trade discussion. The what we've been doing the last couple of games is more and more frequently actually taking shots off of you know ball movement and and like actually getting into Brad Stevens' motion offense and getting the ball side to side and driving and kicking and then. Then we're hitting threes when guys are wide open off of a drive and kick. Um, and I don't think it's an accident. And this is part of what I just fully underestimated, even though we've all talked about how good a passer he is. But, you know, Robert Williams's passing is unlocking a lot of the offense. And, and Scalabrini was talking about it during the broadcast, how important it is to get him the ball in the half court and have him operate out of the high post. It's crazy. Like... It's true. Scalabrino is right. Like good things happen on on offense when um, in the half court when Robert Williams is getting involved in a way that like we just hadn't had this for the first whatever fifty games of the season.
0: And it's just it's it I mean it's ball movement in general. It's not just him touching it, but the one more pass along the wing is getting better. I mean, we're just we're playing with a different kind of energy. And, you know, for Celtics fans, if you're looking for optimism, and good Lord, Celtics fans need optimism these days, what I'm seeing is that we're finally playing above the competition that's lower than us. You know, we're looking at this Rockets team like, okay, we're going to just destroy these guys and that's it. We haven't really looked at the other teams like that in
1: a while. And they're getting out, when they get out ahead and, and they go on a good run, they're holding to that. They're not losing it, which
2: they've been doing all year long. Nobody but it's just, it, to, to what you were saying, Adam, like, the the roster finally fits together in a way that it just didn't at the whole beginning of the yep. season. I still think there must have been some sort of agreement when we signed Tristan Thompson that he was going to start as part of the deal or something. I can't figure out for the life of me why else St- Stevens insisted on this Tice-Tristan uh starting lineup for and like just stuck with that too big lineup so much because it was so clunky and like we talked at at the beginning of the year about having grant williams as a four that would have made so much more sense (laughs) so long ago but we're we are where we are and this this roster is fitting together way better um Interestingly, without Shemi Ojale, not so interestingly, um, actually. And then Tristan Thompson hasn't been out, but I'm excited for him coming back. And I assume at this point coming out, it's the backup. But that'll be interesting to see. I think there might actually be a revolt on Brad Stevens if Time Lord is taken out of the starting lineup at this point.
1: So yeah. let,
2: me, let me give my, my little rant here. Uh,
1: so there, there was some talk when the trade first happened. So you got to look at the trades together. Uh, because the whole reason the Tice deal happened was because uh, the Fournier deal got, did not get us to a, a place where we were avoiding the luxury tax, which is very important this year. I'm not talking about um, the the ownership not, not being willing to pay, but you don't want to do it this year because that avoids the repeater tax uh, with the assumption that we will be paying it in the future. We still don't know how much this ownership group is willing to pay in luxury tax. We know that they will pay it. They have in the past. But how much? Because some, some of these teams, Golden State, for example, is paying a ridiculous amount of money. We don't know how high they're willing to go. So that's we still have to see about that. But we did want to avoid that this year. So the Tice deal was important. I do think we lost something in Tice. I think we gained something in Fournier. I think that, Mike, you're right, the balance of this roster is a lot better now. So even if it was equal value, I'd rather have the roster the way it is now. Um, and I do think this team is, is improved because with Fournier in and Tice out. How much this year is the question? You both were talking about, like Josh, you mentioned, we were going to re-sign Tice anyway, um, so might as well trade him. We'll, so why are we thinking about beyond this year for this deal? Fournier, Wagner, and Cornette are all free agents at the end of this year. so uh, and, and Fournier, I think, is going to... Um, going to command uh, some good money, 20, 25 million. Easily. 20 to 22, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: 490
1: um, could be possible. So are we? did we make this trade so that we could have bird rights to re-sign Fournier without uh, needing cap space for that? Maybe. Uh, for the future, did we make this trade because it made us better this year? Maybe. Did we make this trade because it got rid of Tice, Teague, and, and maybe Javante is included in this of like Brad's binkies, the people that he yeah. was relying on too much an age who doesn't want to tell
2: Brad how to coach. I want that. I want someone to make that t shirt. Smart, <laughs> smart water. If you're listening, I want Brad's binkies with Javante and <laughs> Dice and Jeff Teague. Teague. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, uh, Rob Williams
1: is going to continue to start when Tristan Thompson is back from COVID. But, but are we sure about that? Uh, he better be. Uh, and and um, Peyton Pritchard came out and made comments about how now that Teague is gone, he knows what his role is. And we, we've talked about how frustrating it is, and I think a lot of fans feel this way, that Brad Stevens, how he manages his rotations. He, he does not set them at the beginning of the year. He likes to tinker with them. And players don't know. And these comments from Peyton Pritchard show that. That he basically said, now that Teague is gone, I know that I'm the backup when Kemba Walker is out. I'm, I'm going to be playing a, ma- a major role. And when Kemba is playing, I know that when I come in, I need to be a spark. I need to run the offense, and he's doing that now, and I think he's totally capable of it. But they had to trade Teague in order to make that happen because Brad Stevens simply wouldn't bench Teague since he stunk, and he wouldn't start Robert Williams because Tice was there. So let me pause there and just see if you have reactions
2: to any of that. Well, I think, I mean, we've definitely talked about how frustrating – Steven's rotations are I guess the two pieces that are just unclear to me like it's so easy sitting you know at home watching the games and being like why are you doing this but obviously you know I I think of if I'm actually managing a team of people like it's a totally different dynamic right and and it's hard it's much harder to Truly bench someone that you, you know, that has 10 years of experience, that you respect who they are, what they, what they do, and and totally sideline them. Someone like Jeff Teague for Brad Stevens. Um, and then it's also hard for him when, you know, and we don't know what, like, the roster commitments were or the, the role commitments were from ainge when he signed some of these guys so it's you know there's just these different variables that we don't know exactly what stevens was having to juggle um and there's no question that the roster was poorly put together for the first part of this year and i am sure danny ainge knew that and he didn't wasn't able to do the deals that he wanted to do when hayward left right away and he he was waiting for the right deal i'm sure he would have happily traded two second round picks for fournier in the offseason if he could have um, and and you know, he kind of alluded in his comments after the trade that it wasn't there. So, you know, i I do think Steven certainly deserves some criticism for the lineups and the lack of role. i I don't, I mean, I also think you were kind of unfairly uh, <laughs> um, putting putting a pretty, a pretty daggery point on Pritchard's comments in a way that he definitely was not.
1: No, he yeah, Peyton Pritchard was not saying anything. He was about not, right, yeah, he was, yeah, exactly. Anything <laughs> but, but it's just interesting that he's like, oh, now I, I, my, my mentality has shifted now because Teague is no longer here. Right, think, it's, it's great as a player to have
0: some sort of expectations of when you're going to get in or not. You're going to play your role better if you know what the heck it is. And with Stevens, these guys didn't know what it was. This is totally a great example of Brad Stevens' job is to do what he's been doing. You play the guys that are going to win you the games that you trust. And Danny Ainge's job is to give him different guys if he's playing guys that we're all sick of watching in certain roles. And this is why I love Danny Ainge. And, you know, because he played that the right way. Is Stevens upset about it? Who knows? And if he is, like, it's all happening
1: the way it's supposed to be happening. These combination of trades don't make a lot of sense to me uh, the, because the, the, one of the deals was purely to avoid the tax. Uh, they're over the tax, by. they were over before that deal, the Tice deal. They were over the tax by about $2 million. Um, I hate to bring this back up. This is like the dumbest, most minor issue from years ago. That, Gershon Yavasele. It you're that continues to be it. relevant, which is when we picked up Gershon <laughs> uh, the, uh contract. <laughs> We, he's still on the books for a million this year and next year because we stretched him. Um, so if had he not been on the books, we couldn't we have just thrown Javante into the Fournier deal and called it a day and then been. Wait, are the, you
0: saying? Are you saying we wouldn't have had to give up
1: Tice if not yes. for Yabusele's one million? Yes, I'm not saying because of Yabusele, but that played a role. Like to yeah. me, to me, the deal should have been Fournier, and. Um, uh, Fournier for uh, Teague and Javante. Well,
2: I think I think there are a few a few things we don't know what whether the Magic had any interest in that. Um,
1: who, who cares whether the Magic had any interest? They took, well, they, was... they took the two seconds. I mean, that was a great great deal. Those second round picks. Um, so th- those are. Let me give you these, these. So I'm assuming that the Magic wanted as big as a trade of a trade exception as possible. I think it's like 15.5 million or ish. Uh, TPE that they got, it would have been reduced by like what two uh, million? I think million it's seventeen. I think it's seventeen, isn't it? Well, they they had to take on Teague, so doesn't that reduce it? by like Maybe. a million and a half? I think so. So with adding Javante would have reduced it slightly more. It still would have been a good size. The 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 two second round picks that we gave up, one is the worst of two different second round picks that we have in twenty twenty five. That's that's a meaningless pick. And then it's the Celtics' own second-round pick in 2027. So assuming the Celtics are good <laughs> in six years in 2027, who knows? That's two, like, assumedly unfavorable second-round picks. It's a great, and, and Fournier is great. So the value of that deal for the Magic is clearly the TPE. But how, uh, could we, couldn't we have given them the, the better of the two second-round picks in 2025 and given them Javante the and, and then kept Tice and dealt with re-signing whoever
2: in the offseason? But so, I think there were a few things though. Like, I think the reality is we had too many bigs. We had too many good bigs, and I think that was making that was making Stephen's job too hard. Frankly, like, I'm at rolling a my eyes point, at that.
1: This is a this is a 500 team. I'm rolling my eyes at that.
0: So okay, let me let me try to give you some like really really big big picture perspective on this. Um, We are a city that free agents didn't want to come to with, you know, uh, racial tension throughout history and like throughout the Celtics history in in Boston. Right. And so how do you take, you know, what happened with Isaiah Thomas and the the perspective? No, stop. That has nothing
2: to do with it. No, I reject. There's no linkage with what happened with Isaiah Thomas. I I reject that.
0: should I not finish?
2: I don't know. I I just I'm I'm how is this how is this possibly connected to Danny's moves? Like Danny doesn't care Dan, that Danny doesn't make any decisions because he made that trade. Like
0: Okay, well then why don't you why don't you let me speak and let me finish? All right. Um so you know, the, the impression of the Celtics and of Danny Ainge specifically because of how he did Isaiah Thomas dirty. And just in general, free agents not wanting to come to Boston. And then, you know, how do you rebuild that? How do you, how, especially as an aging general manager who's going to want to pass this thing off and leave it in good hands, you, you, you know, you need to, well, I mean, we could even go further back to like all the Brooklyn Nets picks. Like you get all these picks, you, get, you try to hit on these draft picks, which he did. Um, and then you try to get free agents to come to town, which he did with Hayward, with Horford, with Kyrie. Uh, well, I guess Kyrie was a trade, but, um, you get big names to want to come to Boston so that other big names see that. And right now you've got a situation where you've been trying to like move this asset along. That was Gordon Hayward was supposed to be this really good all-star player to come, uh, you know, to, to really get you to the championship. And, you know, he didn't help us get over the hump. And so we've been like kicking this can down the road with this asset. We now turn this into the TPE and then now Fournier. um, Hopefully you re-sign Fournier, but you've got these two big stars who are young and growing. And you're trying to get like the last piece is is to get you to where a free agent wants to come and join Boston and join those two players to, to where some of the younger generation now, you know, the Tatum and Brown generation, the new generation in the NBA, Looks at Boston like, oh, actually, I want to go play there because of those two guys, or because of Kemba and Smart, you know. Um, so to me, like the big picture of all this is like not does not even involve Daniel Tice, you know. J- J- Daniel just a byproduct of a successful development system, and the and Danny Ainge's philosophy that you want to get more mobile six nine bigs, you know, like a Tristan Thompson who can switch because that's easier for coaching these days, um, and you want them to be able to shoot threes if possible, right? And so we've had this kind of model of we're not going to spend money on the center position. We're going to rotate guys in and now out, as we've seen with Tice. And that's not got, not going to matter because the main thing is we're rebuilding this entire thing, going back to the
1: Brooklyn picks. Wait. So what does that have to do with this deal? Are you saying this deal was made for the future?
0: I'm saying I, like you, you you win some, you lose some. This Jablonski thing, I'm sure Ainge knows that he lost that one, and it and and it's cost him Tice now potentially. But even that is not that big of a deal because you know. His his whole philosophy and the the whole the whole big picture game plan is we have to rebuild the impression of the Boston Celtics. We got to compete with warmer weather places, you know, like LA, where where all the players want to go there. And how do you do that? You need to get young guys and a winning culture and a coach and the whole the whole front office to to actually care about the players and change the perception that we had had, you know, with Isaiah Thomas and some of the other moves.
1: But
2: what does that Um, have to do with this deal? I.
0: It, what it means is that these little these deals don't matter in the in the grand scheme of things. That,
2: that oh, all right. You're you're break. You're destroying my brain, Josh. I don't understand this. I, I okay. So I agree with one literally one thing you said, uh, which is that the Daniel Tice trade doesn't matter in the in the grand scheme. But it doesn't matter because the team. Team is better today than it was before the trade deadline. Um, period. And I think Adam, you agree with that.
1: Yes, better for this. So team. so How much
2: better. I'm not I'm, sure whether it's I, I, Let it's, me answer. Yeah. Let me let me. So so there's there's a few things. The team stunk before the trade deadline. Uh, the team has been awful this year. Danny Ainge addressed it. He said the coaching staff and the players were discouraged josh the reason i don't agree with your big picture take that we're trying to become a free agent destination is because this trade locks us into a cap situation where we're not going to sign a free agent anytime soon
1: exactly
2: like ever so unless you what, you're make, what, what you're saying doesn't make what you're saying doesn't make any sense um and plus honestly it would be egregious management if we were trying to become a free agent destination like an la or new like where that's not who we are. Like we got Hayward over the Heat, which was awesome, um, but the Heat also kind of stunk then. <laughs> that was before they had Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, I think what what the moves were made to because the team was in a serious funk. At a, at a, in a way that was going to sour Tatum and Brown potentially, or could a, could have risks souring Tatum and Brown on their experience as Celtics and left a tarnish in there. And, and so, you know, I the, the idea is to grow and nurture, nurture the growth of the organization around the growth of Tatum and Brown. But not with an eye of attracting new free agents that we're going to outright sign. Maybe it's attracting mega stars that we can trade for, um, which which is is maybe what you were ultimately uh, suggesting. But you know, I, you need,
0: you need to grow. You need to you need to draft, grow your players, develop them, and keep them. So if if it, even if it's not about getting a free agent to sign it's about the attractiveness it's about turning the whole program around right from the broken But place. well
2: again i don't it's not in, the program's been really good like it it's about turning the the like getting cleaning off the stink of the first half of the season honestly is what it's about like we went to the, the eastern conference final last year <laughs> 3 years ago and 4 years ago right like um uh, the program's fine But Brown and Tatum aren't going to be happy if the the organization is kind of settling with a year where we're like kind of trending towards going below 500. Like Adam's preseason prediction was the most bearish of the three of us, and he still predicted that we'd go 40 and 32, which we could get to still, but we have to go 15 and 7 to get there. Um, which you know, as a five hundred yeah, team from fifty games,
0: but we're not evaluating based on our our predictions necessarily. We're just looking at what's going on out there, and and I think that the fix that Danny Inch has made for this season, in a bigger picture, is part of this master plan. That's that's all I'm trying to say. And th- to me, the master plan is not as far away from championship contention as a lot of Celtics fans would think it is. You know, I think that there's one or two spots that we could improve, and and if we play better, if we play with a higher basketball IQ, if if these guys can mature a little bit, all of a sudden we're right there in the conversation. Trust. And then if a, if if a free agent wants to come, or if we can, can somehow trade Kemba's contract for somebody a little bit better than him, a little bit bigger. Well, there's then, no then, way then we could trade Kemba's that,
2: contract for somebody better than him, though. Like that's so, a th- like these. This master plan has to incorporate what's realistic as far as what we can you know what our cap situation is what the value of our players are relative based on the contracts that they're on both to us and around the league and and what the options available to us are which is why i said and i think you and i agree on this largely josh which is that really this is a bet on tatum and brown and time lord being able to reach a height that brings us into championship contention with, with the right kind of pieces around them. But like And Kemba pizzas... being able
0: to perform, you know, after a whole after two seasons of not playing the second night of back to backs and, and things like that, right? All the load management he's getting he it's a bet that he's gonna be able to step up in the playoffs in the right way I moment.
2: hope we're not betting on that personally, but
0: <laughs> I I mean by Josh. signing by signing him, by having him on the team, that's an obvious it's obvious that you're betting that he's gonna be playing better and better gradually.
1: Josh, I, I think we understand your view of the master plan. I, I, I think there's huge flaws in it related to the the cap and uh, your evaluation of Kemba Walker's trade value. But what is the current thing that happened? The recent thing that happened that you see as part of that plan? I'm still confused about how that connects to these moves. I'm just these
0: moves are inconsequential when it comes to the the master okay. plan because well, they're just. They're just small losses along the way or small wins along the way. But I've got I don't, I, I've got some questions for you guys about the. We don't need to belabor that point. The I've got some questions for you guys about the. Can the I just say and, one and one piece
2: move. thing before we switch, which is that any master plan worth its salt in the NBA doesn't throw away any roster moves. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's like, they, because the the way the cap math works and how tight it is and how competitive all of this is.
1: Gershon Yabuseli unfortunately matters, as insane as that
2: is. But you're going to yeah, have to let that I'm go. I go agree. Because oh, it's, I'm gonna agree it, to I want
1: to so bad. I thought we had. I, I, I don't think I you do. I
2: it. don't think you do, Adam. I really, <laughs> I really don't believe that you do. I'm pretty sure you love that. Uh, little tidbit and you will hang on to it <laughs>
0: <I thought laughs>
2: to, we your, were to your grave <laughs> Josh what's your question
0: yeah so about related to the tax related to potential moves this offseason when you're looking at okay re-signing Fournier hopefully um, and then Smart after that and uh, you know I, I think the fact that he, that, he, that Marcus Smart was even mentioned in trade rumors is a little bit ridiculous, and and the fact that we'd have to re-sign him and worry worrying about that may be the only legitimate point to it. Um, but when you look at like other guys who other Binkies of Brad Stevens, you know like a Shemi based on based on what we're seeing from Brad and playing these guys that we're tired of seeing, and Danny Ainge and trading those guys away so that Brad can't play them anymore what is in store for chemiojale this offseason and is it even possible that he that we would want to re-sign him based on the cap situation
1: i don't i don't even want to talk about that it's that like talk about inconsequential like the the celtics just made moves at the deadline and and we're hoping that they're going to be a better team this year if you want to talk about the implications on the future chemiojale doesn't matter really i want to, to get that. rid of all the binkies okay well, how about this? How about you don't sign binkies like Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson in the offseason that then get minutes
2: over players? I'm going to die on the Tristan Thompson was not a bad signing, Hill. Oh, my God. I'm,
1: I, you know what? Like part of my rant today is like how I, I'm, Tristan T- Thompson stinks. <laughs> he was what I thought he was going to be. Josh, you said he can guard switches. No, he can't. No, he can't. And he's supposed to be this guy coming in bringing grit to this team because Marcus Smart is the only one on the team Maybe Fournier has some, but Marcus Smart's the only one on the team that has the kind of grit that this team needs. Like I loved Jackie McMullen saying that this team needed a Kyle Lowry. Like that was who she really wanted them to get. Uh... That's who
2: I've been saying. Yeah, I know, right?
1: <laughs> You're brilliant. <Yes. laughs> You're brilliant. Well, Tristan Thompson was supposed to be that guy, and instead he's out at the club getting COVID. Like, <laughs> and now right, he can't end up playing.
0: Right, and he doesn't have grit. What he brings is effort, energy, uh, a motor. High, having a high motor is not the same thing as bringing grit. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he stinks, because I still think he would, he should play over Luke Cornette, right? So there's there's your barometer, Adam. Does he stink so bad that he should play behind Luke Cornett?
1: In in relative stink dumb, they both stink. Like I don't want either of them playing. I'd rather have I, I would. They should have gotten rid of Thompson and, and kept Tice. I'd rather have Tice as the backup to Robert Williams. Well,
2: yeah, I'm sure the Celtics would too. Nobody wanted Thompson. Yeah. Come on, obviously. <laughs> nobody wanted oh, Thompson on that deal. Nobody was going to trade for Thompson. <laughs> I mean, all Not of on this, that contract.
1: like the context of all of this is this TPE that most fans thought were, were gonna, was going to be hugely valuable. We decided to use it now. We have about $10 million left over that we could use on like an MLE type of situation in the offseason. Um, but there's a, there's a cost to not using it in the offseason, to using it the way we did now on a player who is on an expiring contract. Like if we don't re-sign Fournier and he isn't the missing piece here, th- it's a major problem. And I have been, uh, uh, I have not been assuming that we would get huge value. The, the Like a guy like Fournier is kind of what I expected from this TPE. But um, the the issue is that Instead of actually signing good players in the offseason, we got stuck with Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague after losing Brad Wanamaker because we were waiting for Gordon Hayward and we extended the deadline for him to be able to decide and then had to scramble to pay two second-round picks to get the TPE. Uh, This after uh, paying second-round picks to get off of Cantor, to get off of um, Baines the year before. Like, I'd rather have Cantor and that second-round pick like there's just a lot of value that has gone out, a lot of opportunity cost that that I've seen in the off season, and now with this move, I'm I'm not a huge fan of it because if we're not gonna, if it's not gonna improve us enough this year, then then I don't I don't really get it. And the idea that well we have more ro- uh, more rotation clarity now, because because <laughs> is signing guys that stink, and then Brad Stevens is choosing to play them over developing younger guys. That is, that is not a solution that is solved by a trade like this. That is, a, that is a change in the way that you coach and the way that you construct the roster.
2: I, I think you're, I mean, a, a few things. Like, yes, has there's unquestionably been misses by the front office over the last couple of years. I just, those misses, like holding on to Daniel Tice doesn't, is it a consequence of some of those misses? Maybe. At the end of the day, is it like the thing that's gonna make the difference this season? Probably not. It could, It, it there's a chance that if we had Tice instead of Thompson, you know, going into uh, the conference finals or the finals, if we somehow got that far, it could make all the difference. Um, I'm not convinced it is, at the in the grand scheme because we're probably not getting there anyways, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Um so I think so I think you're kind of latching on to stuff that really doesn't matter anymore because it's over. It happened. Well it, are we it, trying like, to we do are, it now or not? We are trying to me, we are trying to we are trying to play just play better. We're just trying to like actually enjoy what's going on. And then in the offseason, either way, we're going to have to figure out what the heck is the options are. And I'm sure that trading Kemba in the offseason is going to be on the table and something the front office looks seriously at. I'm sure because of the contract situation, trading Marcus Smart is going to be seriously evaluated, even if they don't want to. Um, and they're going to look at both signing and probably re-signing uh, Fournier outright or trying a sign-in trade because they have his bird rights. Like I think everything's on the table, and they don't know what's going to happen, which is not ideal. Like, it's it's not it's not it's not perfect. <laughs> There's as I mean some some people out there, you know, danger car Ryan Ryan Bernardoni uh, has been pretty uh, vociferous about his thinking that it's much more likely than not that things won't fall in a good direction uh, after this season. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a possibility. I think a lot of this stems from kind of them overreacting when they signed Kemba in the first place, but, you know, Kemba has been playing much better recently. I'm I'm looking at the advanced numbers. His net rating over the last 10 games is plus 10.6, which is a really, really good sign. Um, you know, if we start getting an impactful Kemba Walker, um, to the point where either he just actually moves the needle for us or he's like other teams are like oh maybe that's not a negative value contract like either of those outcomes is a really big deal for us um so i don't know i mean i think the off season leaves all sorts of questions i think we're trying to compete as effectively as we can this season and i think in order to do that we had to make a move I think we all agreed that we had to make a move and I think this was the best set of options that we had available to us.
1: the Mike you mentioned that this team um, they're trying to just change the way that they feel about the games about they feel about each other there's like a lack of, of um, focus and grit. Um, it has changed it's nice to see the ball moving on offense more the last two games. Um, I just want to share a couple of of quotes here uh, from the post game uh, after the Mavericks loss. So this is before the last two wins. Um, marcus smart was was asked about um, um, how frustrating it is to know that uh, the loose, the solution is is uh, to play with poison grit uh, and making an an impact on defense. and and he said, uh, that they don't know what's missing. They're they're trying really hard. They're trying to play defense. He said every time we go out there and be aggressive, it backfires on us. We don't get rewarded for our aggressiveness. Uh, it just feels like uh, it doesn't. Things don't go their way. He said uh, like we're attacking the rim and we don't get calls. We're taking a beating in there. It's tough to keep going in there when you're not getting those calls. It's like they're repeating the same thing over and over, and and they don't know how how to change that. Maybe the ball movement will change that, but but like immediately after this trade, it was not apparent that 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 the trade shifted anything. Um, and then also after that game, Jalen Brown was asked um, if there was a different feel this year in tough moments from previous years, and he said, definitely, this is a new year, new team, and there's a different level of response than we've had in the past. Celtics basketball is about scrapping, getting after guys defensively. We just haven't had that in the starting unit or off the bench. That doesn't mean he can't it can't be sparked, he said. So maybe the maybe the last two games are an indication of of things shifting and the players feeling differently and having a different focus and seeing better results from getting into the lane and their aggressiveness on defense and how they respond to difficult moments. But if this season is any indication, <laughs> another, I mean, and and those two games, those were against bad teams. Um so so I don't expect that to be uh, they, a sign of things to change.
2: They were against bad teams but like I've probably watched 98% of Celtics minutes this season. The way we co- the way we played these last two games is a, it's a totally different team. Are you I'm seeing more night.
1: heart, more fight, more confidence?
2: Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing connectivity on defense and 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 consistency in effort across you know from start to finish in a way that this team has not done much of over the first 48 games so like just because it's a bad team meant nothing for this like and again I was we were talking about that earlier houston rockets game we just made a bunch of threes like they weren't good shots we just hit them and so we blew them out this this houston rockets game like we actually didn't start the game that well But we played really good defense all game and then eventually kind of we jostled the game open and we kept moving the ball and we got our offense to go and we won by 18 or whatever it was like it was just a totally different experience and then this game against the hornets we just slaughtered them we just and the ball movement was phenomenal there was like just again side to side movement and drive and kick like what everyone knows is supposed to happen was actually happening uh, Tatum had, you know, a couple of not great possessions in the first half, but he kind of started getting going and had a, ended up with a strong game. Like, I don't know. It it genuinely feels like a different team. And, yeah, I and mean, it I, I may also... look dumb. I may look dumb in two games, and it, like we'll play Philly and New York in our next two games and, you know, fall flat on our face. But these last two games, to me, felt really different.
0: Yeah, we're going to see the same thing against Minnesota. You know, some of this is just that Houston team is really bad. I haven't seen that poor transition defense in the NBA since like the expansion Grizzlies. It's that they're it's a whole other level when you're playing that mad. team. And so the confidence that you have with Fournier starting to hit shots and you know you're playing bad teams. I mean, look, looking at the schedule like we got tough games and then there's there's each week here it's like there's one game sprinkled in of of like a, a really bad team. Like we got Philly Tonight, as this podcast drops on Tuesday, and then New York, and then we got Minnesota on Friday, and then Denver on Sunday. So that's, I mean, overall, that's a tough week for us. Um, We're going on the road a little bit to play Denver and Portland uh, the following Tuesday. Um, But, like, for some subplots, I think it's really interesting, you know, looking at this Philadelphia game with, is Embiid out or is he back? You guys know? He's back. He's back. He's back. Yeah. So, yep. so being able to play like a you know a team like that, who's a rival, who we know that we could see in the playoffs, I think that that's going to be a huge test for us. I have a feeling we're not going to be fully gelled and ready. You know, this has been a tough year for for the Celtics squad, maybe even more so than others. Um, and when you hear those quotes from Smart and the other guys, it kind of reminds me. We in coaching, we talk a lot about you know, are you trying to to just get through it? Like if you're running that sprint or you're like, okay, there's the line, or are you crushing it and you're going through the line like you're not even aware, you're just still going. You know, and this year, it seems like it's just human nature with everything that's gone on that that this team is like trying to just get through it. And as they look to, there's six weeks left in this season. We can finally see the finish line a little bit, and, and it may kind of seems like a lot, like half of this year has been has felt like the dog days of the season. You know, I, I said that on this podcast, I think like two months ago. And uh, I feel like it's, we're still in that period of the season. And I'm wondering if some of the spark that we see out of this Celtics is because they can finally see the finish line and it feel that far away anymore. And I mean, really, we're just trying to get through the regular season and make the playoffs. And then we'll see what happens when we're there. But, you know, I don't think that this is that there's a switch that this team can just turn on and all of a sudden be gritty in the playoffs. Um, but you never know when growth is going to happen from, from young players. And so you got to hold out hope. And you know, as Danny H said, he's just trying to give these guys some hope with these trades.
1: Josh, I've got two questions for you before we end here. Uh, the, the, the positive of, of this last game is that Romeo Langford is back. So my questions are, number one, what future All-Star form did you see in this game? <laughs> and and number two, um, what injury
2: will he get next?
0: Oh, those are good Boo. questions.
2: Boo! The second question. <laughs> Boo! How dare you?
0: At this point, it feels like the injury he'll get next is like, oh no, he just can't play again. You know, like there, there's no
2: answer. Like he's out <laughs> <laughs> <at> with the body.
0: <laughs> yeah, like he's just oh he like I wouldn't be surprised. Return to the
2: ethereal this. realm. <laughs>
0: I wouldn't be surprised if some of what was going on with him is like he's just not ready or, you know, he had some personal things and so we might as well just keep 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 the DMPs going for some good reasons and not share anything. I mean, yeah, he got COVID, he's been injured, there's been different things going on, but I have a feeling that there's more to the whole Romeo thing. I mean, the guy hasn't played in like two years it feels like. So I, have a feel, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something else or there's a little bit more or we're just handling his situation a little differently um, because of extra things going on besides the stuff that's known publicly. Um, not that they're bad things, but that, you know, things happen. And shoot, you haven't played in a year anyway. Sure, we'll keep you at another couple games. All right, well, what did um, you see? Well, I shoot, he hit his first three, and, and the stroke looked a little different. You know, he didn't have that hitch as much. He shot it really confidently. He's as much. As much. As much. Exactly. <laughs> it's
2: still
0: there. It's still there. Yeah, it's, the hitch is almost gone.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um it's like but, I mean just 60% just the defense, eradicated.
0: <laughs> the defensive effort just you know a lot of times you come back out and and you know it's just so obvious that Romeo's trying to do things the right way. He's trying to fit in, he's trying to be a team guy, he's trying to do whatever coach wants to get more playing time. Um and and you saw that effort on the defensive end of the floor, especially on that uh block, that two-hand block that he had on Miles Bridges' dunk attempt. I mean, he's just He's a guy who brings something else to the table that you don't have in other guys. Even Aaron Niesmith, you know, you don't have the same type of athleticism, um, and I don't know. There's just there's something about Romeo that is special. I didn't see a whole lot of it this game, but it's his first game back, so let's give it time.
1: Oh, Josh. Coach Mo, bring in the hope. Mike, you had a, a final question for both I,
2: of us. I, I did, though. Uh, before I get to that final question, I, I do need to mention, um, you. you meant, when you mentioned Neesmith, one thing we didn't talk about with the trade deadline is the reality that Neesmith, uh, because we had him instead of RJ Hampton, me, is why we don't have Aaron Gordon right now, um, which hurts. Uh, what? The magic, the magic took for Aaron Gordon a deal that was a worse first round pick than we could offer, or maybe it was their 2025 first round pick, and we didn't want to give it up. Uh, and RJ Hampton, and you know we were only going to give up our young guy, that like we were only going to give up Neesmith, and they didn't want Nismith. So and Gary, it, and Gary it it Aaron. just yeah. yeah, but we could have made a, I mean. It was more they they were ultimately just super excited about Hampton,
0: mm-hmm. um, or maybe they just weren't going to trade both Aaron Gordon and Evan. Fortier they they did the trade.
2: Celtics. I don't no, I I don't think that was the reason. I mean, all of the reporting is basically that they were just super jazzed uh, about it, Hampton. Oh my god,
0: Hampton's not that great.
2: Okay, I find be. that hard but to believe. Ne- Smith hasn't proven to be yet either. So, I'm, Correct. you know, there's still time. But <laughs> um, anyway, the question I wanted to ask for you guys is, and, and this actually should have asked this in the course of your rant, Adam, uh, but Danny Ainge this past Thursday went on the radio and basically called out, in my opinion, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart for not just playing the offense the way that the coach is trying to get them to play. And I don't think it's necessarily an accident that the Celtics have had two of their better games since. He he basically was saying it's not Stephen's fault that the team is shooting five for 34 and that they're improvising and not running the right. offense. Um, yada, yada, yada. That's not an exact quote, but those were some of the high points. Um, what did you think of that?
1: Thank you, thank you, Danny Ainge. I'm tired of watching step back, fading shots only from Jason Tatum. I know he can hit them, but they're not the best shots. If you have you to guys take see, a shot, take it. But there's far You guys see in the right game here. today
0: uh, when when Tatum he shot a step back. I think it was sidestepping to his left from the right wing, and the referee it surprised the referee, and he the referee had to scramble to get out of the way from his step back. I find it so. It's so crazy that the referees nowadays after all this, I mean, I still, I'm one of those old school guys who still thinks that that James Harden step back is a travel. Uh, I don't care when you pick up the ball. If you're taking four steps, it's always going to be a travel. And now the ref's not only not calling it, but having to get out of the way because it's surprising him coming at him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, this team needs to be playing the offense. and, And it so obviously has not been happening and, and, they need to be playing the defense the way that it's coached to and and uh, i hope that that has an effect i mean that's it's an interesting strategic move by Ainge. but uh, this is look this is a young team and they got younger after the deadline uh, and so um, young teams are Did going they? to be, Yeah, young teams are going to be
2: inconsistent. um and this Well, is, they, yeah, but that's because they got rid of their oldest player who was Jeff Teague
0: and Tice is, is oh no he's around the same age as four. They got younger years. after yeah. the
1: trade deadline, yeah. and they were already one of the younger teams in the league.
2: So you're yeah, you but right I, I bet their weighted right. average of of age minutes will actually go up. Would be my so, guess,
0: guys. All this stuff about like the obviously the older teams win championships more often, but when you're looking at the entire league, the entire league is younger than it than it has been. So everybody's getting younger.
1: What no no. The Celtics are younger. They're like the fifth youngest team, or something like that. Josh, the Celtics yeah, that, are, yeah. young, but the whole league is like, younger than it has been.
2: Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true.
0: <laughs> it's relevant because I feel like everybody. Uh, first of all, I know it's true. Second of all, the, everybody is is always bringing this point up about how young the Celtics are. But there's there's a lot of young teams. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. You yeah, know, well, and, and we know that the champions the champions are usually older. So obviously, if you're trying to be a champion, it sucks to be young, right? And you don't want to be building your team like that. But if you're building your team for the future, you have to be young. Like, I don't see youth as necessarily a bad thing when you got the type of talent that we have on the team. Like, who cares if we're young if, you know, 95% of the GMs would rather have our situation going forward for the future? Yeah,
1: for the future. My My point is that right now, because of the youth, and especially because of Tatum and Brown's youth, that as the leaders of the team, they are going to be inconsistent. They're going to be inconsistent in their leadership, inconsistent in, in figuring out like how do they play their games within the the coaching system and the offensive system and defensive systems. How do they um, stay consistent in in contribution and productivity? They're still figuring all of that out. There and Brad Stevens talked about this also. They're phenomenally advanced at that for their age. I, I I'm not I'm not putting them down in any way. It's what I'm saying is they're young, and and that like, even with how advanced they are for their age, it's still not going to be championship level. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod, or individually Mike Minkoff, at NBA and at Coach Motenko. This is Celtics Pride for Celtics Blog.